You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Well, I want to uh, start off this morning and I want to uh, kind of talk about next Sunday because we're going to be kind of doing something uh, very different next Sunday that will affect all of us. And so I want to just kind of again briefly um, share a little bit about that. Next Sunday, December 2nd, um, we're going to be just having one service. Um, hopefully this isn't the first time you're hearing this. Uh, we've been trying to advertise this in a variety of ways, but if it is the first time you're hearing it, I would invite you to pay very close attention because, uh, again, this is going to impact uh, all of us. So we're going to be doing just one service next Sunday uh, at 10 a.m. That way, everybody was equally inconvenienced, okay? Uh, so we're just going to do one service starting at 10 o'clock, um, and the purpose of the meeting is to update everybody on the progress and the changes that have kind of been made um, since kind of, you know, way back, uh, you know, last May or June. Now, I've had a number of people come up and think that, you know, that, uh, you know, another announcement, another shoe is going to drop. We're, we're here to assure that's not the case at all. Um, there's, it's not going to be a question and answer. It's simply an opportunity um, for uh, members of the trustees, elders. I'm going to kind of get up and share a few things we just want to kind of just share with you the changes, the progress, the things that we're doing differently as a result of all the things that happened. Um, so that's what next Sunday um, is about. There's not going to be any praise cafe. Normally, if you're accustomed you know, to coming early in the morning or in between services, we're not going to do any kind of praise cafe next week. But in place of that, we're going we're gonna to offer a complimentary lunch. That's another way of saying free, okay? We're going to offer a complimentary lunch next Sunday following the service, you know, around 1130-ish. Um, you do not need to bring anything. Everything is going to be provided. You're going to be served by our leadership team. Uh, so again, and, and this is open to everybody, and inevitably, whenever we do something different, um, there are people that think they're being excluded. Oh, this is just for members. It's not, okay? This is for members, uh, attenders. Even if you're here for the first time this morning, next Sunday is for you. It is not just for a select few. It is for everybody. So please help us spread the word about that. We're going to try to send out some reminders. If you look around maybe and see somebody who you normally see here, they're not here today, feel free to call them, text them, just a reminder of what we're doing uh, next Sunday. The trustees, the elders, our staff, you know, have been working very hard to, you know, to respond to the things that have been happening, to make the necessary changes and adjustments and we just want to bring you up to speed um, on the things that we've been doing uh, to date to kind of implement those changes. So again, we look forward to having everybody here next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Now, these last few weeks, we've kind of been looking at, you know, characteristics. We've been looking at attributes. We've been looking at responses 
um, you know, that we have and, and how those responses from us will either move us forward in our relationship with God um, and others, or they will move us backwards in our relationship with God and with others. As I've said throughout these last several weeks, you're either going forward or you're going backwards in your relationship with God. There's no standing still. Okay, there's no, you're, you're, you're never stationary with God. You're moving in one direction um, or the other. And so we've kind of been talking about a few of those characteristics, those attributes, those responses. We talked about kindness. Again, the importance of being kind, especially to people who are unkind to us. And we talked about, you know, how God's kindness has been extended to us, even when we were sinners, enemies of the cross, rebellious against God, before we were even believers and repented of our sin. God extended his kindness toward us when we did not deserve it. And last we talked about negativity. We looked at the impact that negativity had on a whole nation the nation of Israel. God sends them in to spy out this promised land. And you remember how their report was just chock full of negativity and how that negativity kind of spread throughout the nation of Israel. And it caused the people to begin to grumble and complain against God and Moses and how that negativity, rather than them going in and possessing the land that God had already given them, Rather, through their negativity, they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation died. Last week, we talked about envy and jealousy and how that can be a very, very toxic thing in our relationship with God and with each other. And so this morning, having just celebrated Thanksgiving, maybe some of you are going to continue uh, that this afternoon. But again, as we've kind of just, you know, come through the Thanksgiving season, I want to just talk about gratitude this morning. And really how I believe, again, gratitude, you know, giving thanks can really propel us. It can move us forward powerfully in our relationship with God and with each other. Now, as that video kind of talked about, again, it's amazing if you'll just take the time to stop and to reflect and to think about all of the things that we have to be thankful for. And how often we kind of take for granted the ordinary, the day-to-day, the simple blessings that are all around us all the time. I mean, just stop for a moment and just think about everything you've done so far this morning that's kind of gotten you to the place where you are here this morning so much of what it took for you to be here today. Again, all of that is, is a blessing for which we ought to be thankful for God for. Again, the clothes on your back, the transportation, you know, that, that got you here. You know, maybe you uh, were down in Praise Cafe and, and you were able to enjoy breakfast down there. Maybe you, you know, uh, a hot shower this morning, you know, if, if you had one. You know, if you didn't, raise your hand. You know? <laughs> Oh, good. That counts, Daniel. Uh, maybe a coat, you know, you're wearing a coat, you know, the alarm clock. I mean, just stop and think all of the things that, that you have around you on a day-to-day basis, those simple comforts. And again, there's just that tendency in all of us 
because of the familiarity of it, of just having it there. Again, it's very tempting just to begin to take all of that for granted, and we kind of begin to complain and grumble. Yet God's word says in Colossians 3.15, listen to this. He says, let your hearts be always guided by the peace of Christ. The anointed one who called you to peace as a part of his one body. And I want you to pay particularly close attention to those last four words. And always be thankful. Always be thankful. And in case you're wondering, this is not a mistake I was kind of reminded, you know, again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, there it says that we are to give thanks always in the midst of everything. Paul goes on and says, this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus, to always be thankful. I just stop and think about that for a moment. I mean, every one of us in this room would, would admit there are times and, and things that happen in life for which we are thankful for. I mean, even in the life of unbelievers, of, of, of you know, non-Christians, I'm sure that they would all attest there are times in their life where they have been grateful, they've been thankful for certain things, certain situations, certain seasons. But that's not what Paul says here. Paul doesn't say, you know, be thankful when thankfulness is called for. Be thankful when when thankfulness would be the appropriate response. We've all been there. That's not difficult. There's no challenge to that. But there is a challenge when we always are called to be thankful. Stop and think about that for a moment. What does that look like? Can any of you in this room by a show of hands say that you've always been thankful? Or are you like me? There are times where I've been thankful and times, frankly, where I've really struggled. I look back just over the last year, the last nine months, the last six months, the last three months. For me, there have been a lot of times where I wasn't thankful. I was devastated. I was hurt. I was confused. I felt a lot of things over the last year. It hasn't always been thankfulness. And I think that's a challenge for every one of us in this room. Because like me, you've had times in seasons, circumstances, and situations in your life, things that have happened where you just feel life is all out of control. You question, where is God? What is God doing in the midst of this? Why did God allow this to happen? And like me, you've been challenged. And you don't come up feeling thankful at all. And yet this is, this is the challenge that Paul lays out before us, regardless of what's happening in our lives, regardless of the circumstances and situations. We're called to always be thankful. And so this morning, I, I kind of want to talk about what does that look like 
How can we do that? I think it's interesting, you know, that Paul says we don't give thanks for all things. He says what we're called to do is give thanks in all things. Big difference. I don't thank God for cancer. I don't thank God for financial ruin. I don't thank God that a loved one died. We don't need to give God thanks for those. What Paul says is that in the midst of that circumstance, in the midst of our sickness, in the midst of our you know, devastation, in the, in the midst of our struggles, that's where we can begin to just develop a heart of gratitude. Not that God did it, but that God is with us. He's in the midst of it with us. And that's the kind of thankfulness I think he's talking about here. And so this morning, I want to just kind of talk about three things very, very quickly that regardless of what you're going through here this morning, you may be in a place of just utter desperation. You may be in a place of hopelessness this morning. You may be in a place where you just kind of feel like life is spinning out of control and you're struggling again with this whole concept of being thankful in the midst of that. And I want to just share with you three things that you can do Three things that I believe we can just, again, position our hearts and be encouraged by. And so the first thing is, I just think we need to be thankful every day that God stands for me. Regardless of what's going on, no matter what's happening in my life, I can be thankful that God stands for me. And again, this is, this is what this is God's doing. This doesn't involve me at all. It's an encouragement because no matter what we're going through, when God stands for us, he's saying, I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna abandon you in the midst of this. I love what it says in Romans 8, chapter, 30, or chapter 8, verse 31. And Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? And he's, and he's speaking about circumstances, situations that are oftentimes beyond our control. What do we say to these things? What do we say about these things? And he said, since God is for us, who is against us? And again, that is a rhetorical question. And it gives a definite answer no matter how the question is asked. To the question, who, the answer is nobody. Nobody can stand against you. To the question, what? Nothing, there's no circumstance, no situation that can be against you if God is for you. To the question, when? At no time can anything be against us. And to the question, where? Nowhere, there's no place that anything can be against us. Now, when you read the Bible carefully, you're going to find in there that there are, are many promises. There are many, you know, great lessons that are being taught in the Bible. And one of those great lessons that is taught repeatedly throughout the Bible is this. If it's just you and God, it's all you need. If it's just you and God, it's all you need. Joseph learned that lesson in prison. 
Job learned that lesson sitting upon a dung heap. Joshua learned that lesson as he marched around the walls of Jericho. If God is all you've got, he's all you need. Jonah learned that lesson in the belly of a whale. Daniel, or David, he learned that lesson in his fight against Goliath. Daniel learned that lesson in the lion's den. Elijah learned that lesson on Mount Carmel as he went against 450 priests of Baal. Moses learned that lesson standing there at the Red Sea. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they learned that lesson in the midst of a fiery furnace. Paul and Peter, they learned that lesson when they were shackled and imprisoned. One of the greatest promises to me in the entire Bible, and one that I think every follower should write down in their heart with a pen of steel and an unerasable ink is Isaiah 54, verse 17, and it says, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. And he says, this is the heritage, or this is the inheritance. This is a part of your inheritance of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. This is coming to us right from the mouth of God. So how can we be so confident in light of all we know, in light of everything we face every single day? Again, listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 32. And he said, he being God, almighty God who did not withhold, he did not spare his son, but delivered, he gave Jesus over for us all. Having done that, he says, how will he not also with Christ freely give us all things? Now, now Paul is making an argument here from the greater to the lesser. Let me tell you what, what I mean by that. Paul's saying if God gave us the greatest gift that he could give us, and God did that while we were yet sinners, while we were still dead in our trespasses, when we were enemies of the cross, when we were rebellious against God, Paul's saying God freely gave his son to us while we were yet sinners. And if God gave us the greatest thing, the greatest gift, when we were still sinners, how will God not give us all things once we become his sons and his daughters? That's the argument Paul's making from the greater to the lesser. If God gave us his son, Jesus Christ, while we were still sinners, what will he now not give to us, beings we are children of God. In the book of Genesis, there's a story I'm sure many of you have heard, the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. You remember at one point, God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac upon the altar. 
And as you read the story, you kind of get this sense that, that Abraham, he's obedient. And you don't detect kind of a whimper. There's no complaint. There's no griping. There's no arguing. There's no bargaining with God. Abraham just simply surrenders and is obedient to what God is calling him to do. Now, I am sure, as it would for any of us, that there was tremendous pain in Abraham's heart as he starts to go through this process of offering his son to the Lord for a sacrifice. And again, if you don't know the story, you know that eventually God provides a sacrifice in place of Isaac. There's a ram that's caught in the thicket and God instructs Abraham to take that instead of Isaac and use that for the sacrifice. But again, the story is there to illustrate Abraham's faith and his willingness to obey regardless of the cost. Now, with that story in mind, let me again ask you the question. God asked Abraham for his son, and Abraham willingly gives it. So if, Abraham had, if God had asked Abraham for a tithe, do you think he would have given it? Absolutely. Do you think if God would have asked Abraham for his time, Abraham would have given it? Absolutely. If God had asked Abraham for his, his resources, his wealth, his possessions, do you think Abraham would have given that to God? Absolutely. And here's the point. If a man will give you his son, there is certainly nothing else he won't give you if you ask for it. Now, honestly, and I, I'm not trying to be offensive, but I, I wouldn't give any of my sons for any of you, okay? I, I just, I, and I, I would imagine most parents here feel the same way. They would never give any of their children here for you. But let's assume that you are my worst enemy and I gave my son for you. Would you not also assume that I would give you his clothes, his car, his computer, his iPhone, any other possessions he had if you ask for it? If I would give you my son the greater, I'd give you anything and everything he owns. That's the argument Paul's making here. And by the very fact we know that God indeed gave his son for us in our greatest time of need, do you not think God would also give everything and anything else to us. There's a story about a wealthy Roman man who had a son who was very rebellious and very wayward, and this son went on to break the heart of his father. This wealthy man also had a servant who acted more like a true son, and this wealthy man grew to love this slave just like a son. 
And on his deathbed, this man decided to disinherit his son, and he was going to leave everything to his slave, a man whose name was Marcellus. After the man died, the will was read, and the executor speaking to the son simply informed him and said, your dad has decided to leave everything in the estate, everything he owns, to his slave, Marcellus. Now, you can imagine if you're the son how angry, how disappointed, how confused you might be. The executor went on to say, however, per your father's instructions, you may choose one item from the estate for yourself. The son paused and he thought for a moment, and then he said, then I will take Marcellus. Think about that. When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you get everything God has. If God will give you his son the greatest, then he'll give you anything else that you need. The second thing I think you can be personally thankful for, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, and again, this is a posture of your heart, And that is we can be thankful that God stands with me. God stands for me. He stands with me. Listen to Romans chapter 8 verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Now that that phrase there, bring a charge, is represented by one word in the Greek language. It is a legal term, which means to indict. So the question Paul's asking is, who will bring an indictment or an accusation against God's elect? Who would bring an indictment, a charge, an accusation against one of God's children that would disqualify them from heaven? What indictment can be made that would make us unworthy of his love? What charge could be brought against us that would make us unworthy of eternal life? We know from the word of God that there is one who does it. He does it always, constantly, never lets up. And that one's name is Satan. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, He is called the accuser of the brethren or the one who makes accusation against the brethren. There it says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accused them before our God day and night. There's a sense he never lets up. He's always making accusation and indictment against you and I. It leaves that impression that Satan spends a lot of time in the courtroom of God. He's kind of there as a prosecuting attorney, and he's trying to indict and accuse us for the times that we fail, the times that we make mistakes, the times that we do wrong. The truth of the matter is, anytime the accuser of the brethren, anytime Satan brings an accusation, Anytime he brings an indictment against you, he's always right. He's got us dead to rights. We know it's true. It's not hearsay. It's not circumstantial evidence. 
The truth of the matter is, even after we become Christians, we still sin, we still do wrong, we steal, we still fail God. I mean, just stop and think about the past week of your life. Did you have even one thought pass through your mind this past week that you shouldn't have been thinking about? Here's the one that'll kind of get all of us. Did you fail to do something that you ought to have done? Or did you not do something that you knew you were supposed to do? Did you say something about someone to someone else you shouldn't have said? Maybe you've gone the last seven days without praying. Maybe this whole last week you haven't picked your Bible up once. And the truth is when hell's district attorney brings a case, makes an accusation against you, he has us dead to rights. There's no arguing. There's no getting out of it. He's right. What Satan doesn't understand is that the case against us is fixed. Because here's the secret. The judge is also our defense attorney. Verse 34, who is the one that condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes. Rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Get this, get this picture in your mind. There is the enemy, Satan. He is the, he is the prosecuting attorney. He is there in the courtroom of God and he is making accusation, accusation, indictment, indictment. And then there's Jesus, our defense attorney. And what does he offer up in place of indictments? Intercession. The devil's there. He's making indictment. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for us. If you think about it, there's kind of some real humor in play here. Just see yourself kind of in God's courtroom. And there is the devil and he's the prosecuting attorney. He has his briefcase just chock full of all of the wrong things, the failures, the mistakes that you've made. He has everything he needs to make a solid case against you. First John chapter 2, verse 1 says, but if you do sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who pleases God completely. Jesus Christ, because of his death upon the cross, he pleases God completely. He satisfies the wrath of of God against sin completely. So the prosecuting attorney is Satan, our defense attorney is Jesus Christ. You may think, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. Well, let me tell you, it does get better than that. Do you know who the judge is? Five, John chapter five, verse 22 says, and the father leaves all judgment to who? Jesus, 
So not only is Jesus our defense attorney, he's also the judge. Do you kind of get, get the sense this court is rigged? <laughs> do you, you kind of get the sense that this case is already fixed in your favor? If the devil wasn't so evil, it would be tempting to feel sorry for him. Can you imagine how frustrated he gets every time he gets in the courtroom of God, he gets before our heavenly father and he just begins to bring indictment and accusation after indictment and accusation. He calls witness after witness. He has exhibits A through Z. He has pictures, photographs, tape recordings, signed confessions, and the defense attorney never calls a witness. They get up to give closing arguments and, and Satan, he gives this eloquent, impassioned, airtight case against us and he points out all the evidence that he has to, to substantiate every accusation against you. And then our defense attorney, Jesus Christ, he gets up and he doesn't say a word. He simply puts up and shows the nail-scarred hand. And the gavel comes down, the case is closed, and we are declared innocent. Case dismissed. That's why as a follower of Jesus Christ, you never have to fear the prosecution of the devil. Your case has been settled out of court. Jesus died for your sins, he paid for your sins, and his resurrection is proof that God accepted that debt as payment, full payment for our sins. That is why even on my worst days as a Christian, when I blow it, when I fail, when I make mistake after mistake, when I fall so short of the glory of God, you can't even see me with a telescope. I can still be thankful because I know God stands with me. Lastly, I'm thankful that every day, every moment, God stands by me. He stands for me, he stands with me, he stands by me. Romans 8, 35 through 39 says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Again, it's a rhetorical question. He says, will tribulations, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, and sort, those are all great things. He said, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And Paul says, for I am convinced. And I'll tell you what, if Paul can be convinced of this, we can be convinced of this because the spirit that lived in him lives in us. Paul says, for I am convinced 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, no power, no height, no depth, nothing else that's ever been created will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is found. It's founded in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is secured for us, not in us or by us or because of us. It is founded. It is foundational because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Isn't it wonderful? This passage begins with no separation and it ends with no condemnation. I've never done well with math. I've been pretty honest about that and I usually try to avoid anything in life that involves math. So if I can understand what I'm about to say, again, giving my being so mathematically challenged, you should be able to get this as well. Have you ever thought about the fact that there is an applied mathematics to salvation? Here's how it works. God comes to you and I, and God finds us dead in our sins. And God, he, what he does is he adds grace into our lives, thereby subtracting sin from our lives, and then he uh, multiplies forgiveness through and through our lives. And because of all of that, there is no division that separates us from him. I close with this. I've said this so many times before. I'll say it again. You can never, ever, ever do anything in life that will make God love you less than he already does. The opposite of that is equally true. There's nothing you can ever, ever do. And God doesn't ask you to do anything that will ever cause him to love you more than he does right now. His love for you is already at its maximum. His love for you cannot get any greater than it already is because his love for you is always at its fullest. God loves you unconditionally. And because of that, we can be thankful that God stands for us, with us, and by us. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.